Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a podcast for lovers and dreamers and me. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for being here. If this is your first time listening, do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud or SoundCloud. I guess you don't have to subscribe to both. Do leave a review and check out thereitispod.com to find out more about the podcast and see old blogs and old episodes. You can also support the podcast if you go to thereitispod.com. There's a little support button there, so check all that out on the website. Very fun episode today. I have stand-up comedian and podcaster Paul Mercurio. He has a podcast called Two Chairs and a Microphone. He is also the warm-up comic for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. That's how I got to know him. But he does so much other stuff, and he has a very great, interesting story. He started out as a lawyer on Wall Street. It's very cool, his whole journey. Check that out in a second. We are one week away from the election. That was very difficult for a lot of people. And some people are concerned about what's going to happen. They're afraid of what's going to happen. And some of those people are creators. They're artists, and they might be wondering, how do you create something with all this going on. And I just want to remind you and hopefully encourage you that we have been through tough things before and in history there's been a lot of amazing things created during tough times. Look at the 1960s, very tumultuous time. Things were very very rough for people, a lot of turmoil and a lot of division. And yet, a lot of amazing work Some of the worst things were happening, but yet some of the best things were made. So let's not forget that people were able to get through these tough times, create something that united people. We can do it, too. So that's what we have to do. It's what we have to do. Well, without further ado, let's get to this discussion so we can learn more about how to create. Here's my chat with Paul Mercurio. Paul, you have done a tremendous amount of stuff even before you got into comedy, but since you've gotten into comedy, you've done a lot of things. Uh, you were a lawyer on Wall Street right. for a time, and then you started writing for, was it The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, where you first got into it? Yeah, I was, uh, I was doing M&A deals on Wall Street and uh, writing jokes on the side as a, uh, as a you know, as a, as a, hobby i guess i don't know it was weird and uh how did you even connect with that um i he was performing at a private function and i um i just had these jokes written and i don't know what to do with them and i'd always been a fan and i'm like ah you know might be i'll give him my jokes i don't know i don't know what i was going to do with the jokes and then he was and uh i um i went up to him afterwards i said i don't know if you need jokes but i had all these jokes and i handed the jokes and he took him and he was like, okay, wait, wait, wait. he really liked, it was like creaky because he really did talk like that. It was yeah. like, it's like they let him helium out of a balloon very slowly. <laughs> and then, uh, called me the next day and said, I'll, 
I need jokes for the Tonight Show monologue, and I'll pay fifty bucks a joke if I use anything. He said, "I think you know your writing's pretty good, and you write clean." And then a few days later, he hired me to. He paid me fifty bucks for a joke he did. He, he called me, said, "I'm going to do your joke on the Tonight Show." He did it, blew me away. He encouraged me to start trying the jokes out by going to these comedy clubs or dive bars, and I did. And I started to live the secret double life where I'd sneak out of work and I'd go to these dive bars and. Everyone, all the other associates were going on dinner breaks, and I was going in a car to like a place called Downtown Beirut 2 was one of the name of the places that I worked. And, mm-hmm. and I always liked the two part. I, 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 <laughs> it's like they franchised them or something, or somebody blew up the first one. And I was waiting to go on stage one night, and there was a folk singer on stage before me, and there was a scuffle at the pool table, and a guy got his neck slashed across the side of his neck was a drug deal gone bad and he starts screaming he caught me man he caught me he was he was drunk you know his girlfriend was crying oh my god look at my boyfriend he caught me coming and uh the guy on stage just yeah and so my friend he just keeps playing he just keeps playing like he's not getting off right and uh and then the mc goes on and goes i think the show's over and uh the mc goes on and goes all right you guys ready for some comedy <laughs> and he calls me up because and I nice to be here. I always wanted to follow a slashing, which I thought was a pretty good line. And this place was a dive. They had right. dealers working out of there. There was a sign in the men's room door that said the toilet seat is only to be used to go to the bathroom, not to cut coke. Thank you, the management. Oh, wow. There was, yeah, it was it was it, a hooker worked out of there, and she would give you notes on your jokes. Like she gave. Oh I like that joke you were doing about. How come you're not doing that joke about cabs anymore? I like that joke, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And um, so. Long story short, I'm standing up there. I say, nice to be here. I always wanted to follow a slashing. And the guy who got slashed heard me say that. And he was like, hey, you making fun of me? And he was really drunk. I didn't take any shit from you. And he takes all these bloody napkins. He wads them up and he throws them at me. And they oh stick my to my white shirt, my white Brooks Brothers shirt. And I have this blood stain on my shirt. And now I'm like determined to get through my set. Like I'm like, fuck this guy, you know. And I... uh I'm trying to tell my jokes, and he turns back to me. He goes, hey, what are you doing anyway? I'm trying to tell jokes. He goes, oh, yeah? He goes, I like jokes. He turns back to the room. He goes, hey, everybody, shut the fuck up. This guy's trying to tell jokes. And the whole place shuts up. It was unbelievable. I get off stage. I go back to the firm. I was way late. I should have been gone an hour. I was gone three hours. And one thing leads to another, and I have to go into a conference room with this big blood stain on my shirt, and I'm trying to hide it with like a file folder, and I... And I was. This was now a secret double life I was leading. Nobody in either world knew I was doing the other thing. And um, I standing there, and my senior partner screaming at me like, "Where have you been? What have you been doing? Why do you have a blood stain on your shirt?" And before I could say anything, one of the other lawyers goes, "What kind of shirt is that?" I go, "It's a Brooks Brothers shirt." Why? He goes, "Oh, I know how to get blood out of a Brooks Brothers shirt." Oh no! He goes, "Club soda and lemon juice." I'm like, "What?" And another guy's like, "No, no, Armani. That's the shirt you want." When you get put, and I literally turned them and go, "Are you guys remaking American Psycho in your spare time? How do you know about this?" And um, and I then something came up and I had to leave the room and I kind of dodged a bullet. But I then was sort of living that life for a couple of years, and then eventually it was like I got to shit or get off the pot and try this full time. And I did, and I moved to a rooming house. I sold my apartment in New York City and sold everything I own kept my car, moved to this rooming house where there was an ex-con, shared a bathroom and a kitchen with other people. You just had a little, like 10 by 12 
bedroom with a hot pot on the floor, and it was two ex-cons, two recovering addicts who also lived there, and a 300-pound phone sex operator who sold Herbalife diet products door to door. And I oh was gosh. living now, I was living the life of a comic, and it was miserable, and it was, wasn't making any money, and I had, had doubts about my decision, and I was like, what have I done? And I screwed up my life, and I got to go back, and then I got an offer to go back to Wall Street, and I decided to take it. Mm-hmm. So I went back to Wall Street. I recreated my, because I had gotten audited by the IRS while I was being a comic. My car got drowned out in a flood. Like, just all this bad shit was happening to me. So I went back to Wall Street, recreated my life, moved my girlfriend back into New York City, who's now my wife. We got another two-bedroom apartment, another big TV, the whole nine yards, swore off comedy. And then two months later, I was back doing comedy again, like a, <laughs> a alcoholic looking for a drink. I wasn't happy in that job. I was completely lost. I didn't know what to do. And then I, I had done a little TV spot and then forgot about it. And then a few months later, I was now my second tour of duty on Wall Street. And I was with this company, this senior guy, the president of the company, actually. We were, we were Phoenix, Arizona, and we were in a conference room with a bunch of lawyers and bankers. And the guy, the, the president, it's like a nice older gentleman, comes in the company, our client, the president of the client, comes in and goes, uh, did I see you on TV last night? I'm like, no. He goes, oh, yeah, I saw you on TV. I'm like, no. He goes, yeah, yeah. Well, it turns out that they had aired that TV little spot that I shot of doing stand-up. What was it? It was, it was just like one of those showcase shows where you're like, okay. like, like, you know, like a Comedy Central, like four okay. comics. And he um, basically goes, uh, big pause. I go, yeah, that was me. And, he goes, and I think I'm dead. He goes, it was great. He goes, hey, everybody. <laughs> My... My um, my investment banker is a comedian. How about let's go see him tonight down in Phoenix? There's a club. I'm like, no, 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 that's fine. But I found out later that they humanized me to him, and that's why he liked me because of oh. that. I, and I thought he was going to make fun of it. So that kind of gave me permission from the Wall Street world to go ahead and do this and really try it. I think yeah, I was and kind you of, had stability and yeah. I was well. Good. I was looking. I was looking for. You know, there was no stability in going back to comedy, but I had the stability that I was going to walk away from. But I felt like, hey, you know, these people respect this. Maybe I should do it. And and then once I did it, went back a second time. People said to me, you know, you now you have a career, not just a job. Good for you. You know, really go for it. And I did. And then got hired on the Daily Show a little while after that. And then it kind of started to take off. But it was a tough couple of years of like. I was very scared. I had a lot of doubts. I wasn't sure what to do. It was hard to disconnect from the security of Wall Street and money and go pursue your passion and mm-hmm. not have a safety net. It was it was really hard. You know, I wasn't sure I made the right decision. And that's kind of, I think, the big message in that, I think, is it's, you know, you got to kind of really, I don't know. People take their own message away from it, I guess. But one for, one is definitely like... Uh, it's it's something that you've got to really want because it's going to be painful in the at least in the beginning anyway you know right that's yeah. very good advice I've heard that before and sometimes people they have their dreams being a rock star whatever and they don't want to lug equipment around yeah. you know they yeah. don't have to they don't have to be on the road and yeah. they'll say all I want is to be a musician well not really if you don't want to do that stuff. No, there's a lot of stuff. I would stand, listen, I was working on Wall Street and I was standing outside comedy clubs handing out flyers to get stage time. Like the idea is you hand out flyers for an hour, they'll give you five, ten minutes of stage time. Mm-hmm. I would get stiffed on money. I mean, and I was working in one of the biggest law firms in the world. 
and the people that were controlling my life in comedy were people we, we would not have trusted to go get us sandwiches. Like, <laughs> and yet they had control over my life, and that was the big adjustment, you know. Right. And uh, so, how is this not it, a, a TV show or movie about <laughs> like well, already everything you said? What, is... That's what we're that's what we're working on for me. You know, it's yeah, sort that of needs a to that, that's a secret that double life, and we've got this idea for a show, and so yeah, so it's it's uh. It, it 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 speaks to a lot of things that people relate to, you know, about are you happy where you are? If you're not, then mm-hmm. how do you change that? And what do you have to go through to change it to find your happiness? And maybe you have to go through pain and all that. Had you always talked about political things in your humor? Or did that was that something that really flourished when you got the job at Daily Show? No, I uh, I was sort of sort of dabbling in it. Um, I had a penchant toward it a little bit. Like there were people um, uh, that thought, oh, you know, you should talk more about that. And um, I did. But I didn't want to make it the main part of my act early on because it sort of pigeonholes you. And it's a, and also if you're doing political stuff, you can really narrow your audience. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It just over time, it would be stuff that I would talk about, social stuff, political stuff, you know, stuff like that. And um, it sort of got to meet some people like Liz Winstead who created The Daily Show and she got right. to know me and we do stand-up together and she asked me if I wanted to try to write on the show and I did a writing submission I got hired and that's how that started. Yeah, so I was kind of dabbled a little bit, you know what I mean? Like it kind of yeah. was there but it wasn't like the main part of my act. Since then, I mean, you've been a political commentator to a certain degree yeah. on CBS. How did you parlay into that world? Well, I started to, you know, have... Um, a bit of a name of being somebody that does political satire, or, you know, comments on politics mm-hmm. and pop culture and the media. So I started, to, I, I, I got uh, to go on, I think it was over at Fox News, actually, a show, and then that kind of parlayed into other shows, and then that parlayed into CNN and MSNBC. So people start to kind of, you know, kind of know that you're in that world and you get referred by one person to another. So it stemmed out of my daily show background and, you know, having that show got a whole high profile, and then, you know, I won. Emmy and Peabody Awards for it. So like that ups your sort of name value, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. So you have credibility coming from that show, you know, because we were, you know, I'm not on the show anymore. I I left when Jon Stewart left. But, you know, just it was the show that was sort of doing a lot of that at the time, you know, Mm -hmm. even that and I guess Weekend Update on SNL would be like the only other thing that was doing it regularly. Right. Those are the two big ones. Those are really yeah. the two big ones for so yeah. long. Um, yeah, yeah. And now, of course, we have uh, quite a few others. So many. Yeah, it's like crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, you do a podcast as well called Two Chairs and a yeah, Mic. Yeah, Two Chairs and a Microphone is on iTunes. And, you um, had a and lot of amazing was, guests on that, like Sir Paul McCartney and yeah. Stephen Gobert and all these, Jay Leno and all these, all yeah, these big yeah. names. It was, it was pretty crazy how I got Paul McCartney. It was, uh, yeah, I met him at the... I met him at the Colbert Report. He was doing a live show, and I ran into him in the hallway. And um, he um, he was just standing there alone in the hallway. And uh, I I was like shocked that it was Paul McCartney, but more shocked that he was like all alone in the hallway. Right. Like and nobody was like even there. He was just hanging out. And I went over and I started said hi, and I just. He walked away. I just went to say, big fan. He comes back. Oh, come back. What do you do? I'm a comedian. What do you do? Yeah, what do you Stand up. Oh, I love stand up. You have a kid? Yeah, you tour? Yeah. 
like I'm 10 minutes ago by I'm talking to Paul McCartney like I'm talking to you <laughs> and on the outside I'm like I'm, hey I'm all cool like hey I'm talking to Paul McCartney and the inside I'm like I'm talking to Paul McCartney I'm like one of those girls you see in like the movies you know screaming and then I go to the bathroom I'm just like hyperventilating and then I go um, Paul McCartney should do my podcast like that's what I think because I like to talk to people about their process and how they do what they do and why they do it and stuff so why I started this I, podcast yeah and how you, how you make how you make uh, how you make things out of nothing. Like I'm just fascinated by, especially musicians, because mm-hmm. I'm not musically inclined. So um, I went back and I knocked on his dressing room door and I said, "I know this is crazy, but would you do my podcast?" He goes, "Yeah, sure, just like that, like that." Fa- <laughs> yeah, and you know, like in high school, there's like that hot girl or hot guy you wanted to ask out, but uh, they're way above your pay grade, and you have to be like, you know what, I'm going to ask him out. They'll say no, but I'll know when I'm 90 and on my deathbed that I asked them. Like, you uh, know, yeah. no so you say, I'm going to, you know, you, but you ask them out and they say yes and you don't have a plan. <laughs> that was me. Because he goes, yeah, sure. How would we do it? And I was like, uh, uh, and I'm not exaggerating. This is what I sounded like. I'm like, uh, I'll come to London. And he goes, well, we're in New York together. Why would you come to London? <laughs> and he said to me, is it easy to do? I'm like, yeah, um, it's really easy. You could do it on your phone, naked from your toilet. I'm like, what am I saying? I'm like, <laughs> turn into a freak. So I go, look, I'll leave you alone. And he goes, uh, I said, I'll just find one of your assistants. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, don't. They're, they're going to screw it up. The, you and I will do it. I go, what do you mean? He goes, let's. You and I exchange numbers, and you and I will do it. Oh wow. So I figure I got a really nice blow off. I say okay. I leave. He does the show. Now I'm rushing to get to the Daily Show. Uh, my phone rings and I don't recognize the number and I, I let it ring the voicemail and this is the message on my phone. Hey, Paul, it's Paul McCartney here. Um, I'm going to ring you back in five minutes to do the podcast thing. I've got some time now. Otherwise, I'm going to run out of time. So if you're there in five minutes' time, you got me. Okay, bye. Oh, wow. And he, said, he, he didn't say call me back. He said, I'm going to ring you back. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, and he says Paul McCartney, so like, it's like if you told your friend to leave a gag message, it couldn't have been more perfect because no one can question that it was Paul McCartney, right? And oh, uh, it was uh, it was just uh, it was it was insane, and uh, and um, I I I just was like, what? So I call him back. Um, and he gets on the phone. He goes, "All right, let's do it." I go, "Well, I got to find a line. I had to set up a line." And then I, and then I call him back, and I go, "Okay, I'm ready." And they go, "Hold on, he's in the bathroom." And then all I could picture is Paul McCartney taking a shit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he and then I done it. <laughs> yeah, but it would probably be a very creative shit, like the most brilliant. You know, it's Paul McCartney. So that's that's kind of <laughs> that's how we came surreal. up with the song. Yeah, yeah no. exactly. But I I really like doing the podcast because it's long form. You could get really so I have like Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about how he was almost a stripper, a male stripper for money. Uh, I talk about the uh, I talk with Brian Cranston about kissing his first first kissing scene in a play in high school and thought this is a good reason to go into acting. But he also talks about his rough childhood with his father and. Uh, Stephen Colbert and Jay Leno and Sugar Ray Leonard, who I mm. asked, well, well, the first time you got punched in the face, why did you like? Wanna why keep... did you not just say this is crazy? I'm not going to do this anymore. So it was, um, it was a, it's been really cool. So there's something for everybody. Stone Cold Steve Austin is up right now. Mm-hmm. There's a really fascinating interview with him about how wrestlers do what they do and why they do it and all of that. And 
how he got to where he is. So it's on iTunes. It's a free subscription. It's called Two Chairs and a Microphone, and uh, and uh, I'm really proud of it. Um, I'm not proud of a lot of things, but I'm proud of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you want a Peabody. Too. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm yeah for, so uh, you, you, nobody yeah. knows what that is, but I want one. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cool to win yeah, it one. Surreal. It's a, it's a, it's like for broadcast journalism. It's that kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? And it was a bunch of comedians at the Pulitzer Prize, <laughs> the uh, uh, a Peabody Award. It's Pulitzer Prize for broadcast journalism, is what they say. Mm-hmm. We're at the Waldorf Astoria with all these high-powered journalists and a bunch of half. Bomb comedians fucking around is crazy. It was like, what are we doing here? It was like, it was like the inmates in the asylum got loose from the asylum, you know? <laughs> yes, I, that, that makes sense yeah. <laughs> in that world. Oh gosh, so I don't even know how to really where to go from here. I want to talk to you about your process and things. Um, yeah, sure. You, how do you? I'm not great at writing material for politics. Um, mm. How do you? come about with your material well we just did some last night i've been doing it a lot especially around the election um you basically you kind of have an idea from wherever you're appearing like what they want to talk about so then you dive in and you just start reading up on it and then mm-hmm. you want to make a point so the, for me is it's either make a point and be funny or be funny and make a point mm-hmm. and what's the distinction that you draw there that you're Between. yeah like if you're making a point then you're actually trying to say something serious, and then you just find a couple of avenues to say something. Well, funny. like for example, Donald Trump, right? Everybody talks about Donald Trump, and there's there's a Donald Trump. Like most people want to always wanted to have it both ways, so like he loved the media when the media he was using the media in the primary to get all of that essentially free press, but then when things started to go bad in the general election, he got called out on womanizing and this and that. He attacked the media. Mm-hmm. Or he attacked Bill Clinton for tw- for indiscretions 25 years ago. Then when these women started to come forth from as far back as 30 years ago against Trump, he and his surrogates actually said, well, 30 years ago, that was 30 years ago. So that's that's a double standard. It's like, why is it okay for you to go back 25 years and it's not even the candidate that you're going after but the candidate's husband and you're upset with people going back 30 years on your shit. So what I said was, there's a hypocrisy there, so much so that apparently that's what he's going to build a Mexican wall out of. (laughs) So that's how you get to a joke. Now, that may not be the biggest laugh in the world, but it's a strong enough joke for me that I think it's worth doing, Mm -hmm. and you make a point. Or you can say, this is a guy, you think, why, why are people surprised about his womanizing this is a guy that had a public affair with Marla Maples while he was married. He's been married three times. Did Republicans who nominated think that he, because he was married three times, he respected women three times more? <laughs> and he's uh, being advised by Roger Ailes. So what is Roger Ailes, who just got booted from Fox News for 20 sexual harassment claims? What does Roger Ailes tell, like nine or ten women came out against Trump? So what does Roger Hill say? Ah, nine or ten? Don't worry about it. When you hit 20, then they fire you. You're fine. You got another nine to go. Like, so there's a lot of comedy in that. Mm-hmm. But in it, you know, there are things that should be said. You know, like, you know, Trump never trusted that the American public would be okay with him not knowing a lot. He should have just said, I don't know a lot, but I'm going to learn. And he would have had an easier time of things. Now, he won, obviously, so whatever he did worked. But there was this... America was definitely is 
and obviously ready for change and an outsider. And I said during the process, it's like he got America in bed as an outsider. He got the bra off and he didn't know what to do with the tits because he kind of didn't really have a plan, didn't care to have a plan, didn't want to know. You know, kind of like that doctor in an emergency room and you wheel a patient in and he's like, what's all that red stuff in the body? That's the <laughs> blood. What does blood do? Well, you're a doctor. Don't you think you should know that? Why are you attacking me? Are you the liberal media? Like, So there's a lot of stuff there, but I think you don't want to do tr- Donald Trump has bad hair jokes. You don't want to do Donald Trump has orange skin jokes. Like, You don't want to do Donald Trump has small hand jokes. It misses. It's not. You don't need it. There's a million people doing it. Mm-hmm. There's all of this other substance of stuff, substantive stuff that you can talk about and I make think, jokes about. I think where, for me, when I'm trying to come up with ideas, I can process the material well. I can understand the differences where I get hung up is when it is time to then come up with a joke. Are, are there some... Yeah, I think you just come up with a joke when uh, you want to come up with the joke and mm-hmm. not worry about it and also be prepared for people not to get the joke or especially if you're on a panel with serious people because sometimes they don't have a sense of humor and right. they don't get it. And it's like fuck them you know yeah you know, it's your joke it's your point of view mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of shitty writers out there just because somebody writes a blog doesn't mean they're smart just because right. somebody writes i mean i read op-ed stuff in the new york times and the wall street journal it's like some of it's good and some of it's mediocre you know <laughs> yeah so like there's not this thing of like oh you, you, you're brilliant whatever it's just just a bunch of i don't know it's it, it's really about what you want to say and how you want to say it because you so that's a gut thing and you kind of mm-hmm. start to you know your gut your gut could tell you like okay this is a time where this joke this joke will work here you know like or and eh, this joke's not strong enough you know mm-hmm. okay so, yeah it's sort of a it's a it's a thing as you do it you start to get a feel for right know, and I, yeah. as a stand-up, I've gotten a feel for things. It's the good thing I'm taking. I'm glad I heard you say it. Is don't worry about it when I, you know, like let the joke joke come to me. Yeah, you can, and you can't be apologetic in its delivery. You know, like right. and um, it's just, you know, you just got to say what you want to say and how you want to say it, and uh, mm-hmm. and then let other people deal with it however they have to deal with it. You know. Yeah, I want to touch on because when I took a trip up to. New York a month ago and uh-huh. I'm moving up there in late February but we mm-hmm. I did uh, see you at a taping for the late show where mm-hmm. you opened and I uh, I do improv here and mm-hmm. I host sh- stand-up shows and improv shows and I learned so much my girlfriend and I were watching and we just said oh, this is stuff we need to be we need to be taking notes on this guy and how he's oh, really? the crowd yeah oh gosh we learned a ton watching you do that um, well, I'm, I'm interested and I'm not fishing for a compliment because I'm really asking because I really am interested and always trying to be better. But like, it's hard to see yourself objectively. So from your vantage point, like what was it that's, and again, I'm not fishing for a compliment, but like what, what sort of was the, some of the things that said, oh, well, I, I should take notes or whatever. Like what was it that jumped Just out? The pacing and how effective you were because Everybody was super pumped up. Everybody was ready. And I think a lot of the things that I learned was, oh, he's giving us a ton of information about what our job is and what what it is we're going to be doing and what we should expect. And, you know, I'm hosting an improv show where we're getting a lot of suggestions. 
a lot of times me and the crew that I'm with, uh, we maybe don't explain things well enough. And so when I saw you, I realized, oh, he is explaining things on such an exceptional level that we know not only do we have the permission to laugh as loud as we possibly can, but that we have to. We have a little bit of a responsibility. Yeah, well, it's, that's really observant because that is, it's the three things have to happen in that warm-up. You have to give information. You have to get them emotionally and literally physically pumped up, especially in a, it's the biggest space that I've worked in as a TV studio. It's yeah, basically it's a, it's a 1922, 23, built in 1922-23 theater with a balcony it's a huge broadway theater with 500 seats it's massive with a massive dome mm-hmm. and you also have to get them laughing really fast yes and all, all of that has to happen in 10 to 12 minutes yeah and it's real it's really really simple performing for people in my opinion just be honest and don't bullshit them because they can see through the bullshit don't have gim- i don't have there's no gimmicks i'm not giving shit away i'm not having someone stand up and fucking sing of the the Gilligan's Island song. You just say, "Hey, man, what's going on? We're hanging out. This is a TV show. Here's the deal: you get free tickets. You get to watch a major television star and a major TV show. And the only thing we ask you to do is be engaged for one hour. If you can't do that, get the fuck out." <laughs> yeah. Like I literally, well, I literally had to say that last night. Two, we were doing a live taping for Showtime, and there were. There was a dude, two dudes on the during the warm up, like while I'm having people get up and cheer, they're on their phones texting. Now they're not supposed to have their phones on at all. No, they're not. And I and I stopped the taping. I stopped the warm up. I go, you got to get off your phone, and you got to get off your phone. And the whole place got like quiet. I'm like, we're doing a national television taping. If that show goes and it's live, if those go off, and I said, if you're that disengaged from this, I go, you should go see a taping of Rachel Ray. <laughs> Not only are those yeah. motherfuckers going to stay off their phone, any other douchebag in there that thinks they're going to get on their phone ain't going to get on their phone. Absolutely. So I just think it's about being honest, and then I just do what I want to do, which is I want to have a conversation with people. So when yeah. I talk to them, it's the same thing as my podcast. I'm really interested. So I'll get somebody, and I bring him up on stage, and he's a plumber, and I'll ask him, you know, whatever comes to mind. Like, why does it cost so much for an O-ring on a toilet? And he'll tell me. And I don't care if anybody else thinks it's interesting. I don't really care. All I care about is what I want to know. And as long as I keep that moment genuine, then it'll, it should work. But I also have to be funny with it. I have to find somewhere in that conversation where I know there's a funny thing and make it funny. Mm-hmm. I can't expect that person to be funny. But right. it's just, You're um, real sharp and real quick. You're, it's like just great crowd work. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I, I kind of feel like it's really a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we all call it crowd work because we're comics. But that word can connote like, oh, uh, what do you do? Where are you from? And then, oh, and then you have a joke about where he's from. Oh, right, right. Where it's kind of fake crowd work. It's like yeah, that crowd which is work not what I got from you. It seemed no, like you no. were spinning a lot of plates. Like if you were talking to one person, a new person that you had just met, you were still remembering everything oh, yeah. you heard That's about the everyone most else. Fun part. Yeah, and you're connecting yeah. things. It's like a Seinfeld episode when the three storylines come together at the end. Yes. Oh, and you want to be my latex salesman, right? Like when he's on his face, like just that's such a brilliant, that's such a brilliant scene. line, yeah, yeah. And that whole that whole episode is so well written. But like when it all comes together, 
So I get you from South Carolina and a guy that was in Charleston, but then he moved and now he's living here. And so I don't know. And you just connect the dots. And that's just stream of consciousness. No, it's the most freeing experience. It's why I left Wall Street. Mm-hmm. That, those moments. Because, you know, you write the stuff and then you got to remember the stuff and then you got to say the stuff. And that's kind of fun, but it's a little mechanical. This is just me saying whatever I want. Nobody tells me what to do and I can say whatever I want whenever I want, however I want. And like, and I, old people like it because they don't give a shit anymore and they don't have a filter and young people Mm -hmm. like it because they don't have a filter. And like, it's just, and it's also my job to give everybody those 500 people permission to, to, to behave in a way that they normally wouldn't behave, which is silly and loose. Like it really is like, you know, you got high powered people in there, you got retirees, you got college students. So everybody has to have this communal moment of like, we're all here together doing this one thing, which is we're going to act silly and have fun and not worry about shit. Yeah. And I, my, that's sort of my job too, is to sort of transport them out of their worries about the, the audit they're going through or that their daughter's fucking pregnant or I don't know, whatever, right? Everybody walks in there with, every single person walks in there with some bag of shit that they don't want to think about. So I, and I even address that. I say, look, you can't do like you do it at home and be worrying about shit in your head about your life. Just let's focus here. And then they do it. You're kind of going to give permission to people, permission to kind of breathe a little bit. Same thing with stand-up, I think, you know, in the clubs, you know, Mm kind of. But the improv thing is just about, Getting out of your own way, and it's cliche, but really listening well. Yes, and not, absolutely. And not, and not trying to script yourself out in the moment ahead of time. You're really sharp, you're really smart, and you're really confident. For people who are pursuing comedy who don't have those qualities, is there a way that they can try to grow that in them? I don't think anybody can be as smart as I can. Let me tell you right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm, that's very nice of you to say, but I'm none of those things. Um, I... <laughs> I think that it's just about stage time. You got to get a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of the stage time because mm-hmm. I wasn't this confident as a performer. And you also have to like people, I think, and like that 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 dynamic of figuring out an audience and the psychology of it, which I really like, you know, mm-hmm. and and understanding what a room needs and understanding in the moment how to adjust to make the room be what you want it to be. There's some comics that just do their thing, and this is what I do, and you either come along or not. I tend to do that, but I'll also, I'm not going to sacrifice jokes if I know an audience in a moment needs a little something else before I do the joke. So mm-hmm. I feel like the confidence comes in the performing, uh, confidence comes from just being in a lot of different situations, like right. a lot, like shit bar shows where nobody's guys literally throwing bloody napkins at me i got <laughs> i got a glass thrown at me in london at a club big club the guys i and i was doing fine they just didn't like americans the guy threw a beer glass at me mm-hmm. um and this isn't a dive this is one of the biggest clubs in london and uh warm-ups tv a lot but all the tv appearances are the thing that really give you confidence because mm-hmm. when you have to go on cnn you have five minutes with four people all trying to get their word in and you have to be funny. You have Mm -hmm. to remember the shit you wrote. You have to find the opening. You have to say it. You have to say it just the way you wrote it. It's live national TV. That shit, you either sink or swim with that. And so after that, doing your act is easy because it's your act and you know it. Right. And it's loose. So also acting, you know, I act. I'm actually going to be in a film called The Bleeder with Lee F. Shriver that's coming out later this year. Oh, great. 
and yeah, so when you're working with that caliber of people too, that ups your game. And I think all of those, all of those performances inform you as uh, who you are as a performer overall. Being able to deal with a bar show and people screaming in the back and not paying attention makes it pretty easy to be on a movie set with Leo Shriver and have it be real <laughs> quiet and act. You know what I mean? Yeah. I even had my agent say to me, you know, Leo can be kind of intense and some actors are intimidated. I'm like, I'm not intimidated by this guy. I'll take you to a shit bar up in fucking northern Connecticut where fucking there were two fights during my show. Like, <laughs> and I'm still trying to do stand like that's like trying to do stand up in a hurricane. You know, things may not seem like they relate to each other, but they all relate to each other. Oh, you know? yeah. You know, I totally agree with that. I have plenty more I could talk to you about, but I want to respect your time. Uh, is there anything that we could create together? We've kind of talked about things that isn't necessarily a process, except for maybe mm -hmm. political joke writing. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we could. I mean, I, 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 um, I do want to mention before I forget, November 25th and 26th, I'm headlining at Gotham Comedy Club here in the city. Great. So I'm doing four shows and uh, love people to come see me. And uh, just go to Gotham Comedy Club. Uh, dot com and they can uh, actually put in the promo code Paul and they'll get special seats if they put in Paul. Mm -hmm. uh, they give they 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 offer like limited discounts on some tickets. So it's all caps, all uppercase P A U L, and it's GothamComedyClub dot com and it's Thanksgiving weekend, November twenty fifth and twenty sixth. Gotham's a beautiful. Uh, I'm doing five shows, a beautiful supper club there, and um, love people to come see me for that and. Subscribe to the podcasts on iTunes, definitely, you know. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, but yeah, we can create something. So what? what's something that we could do? Maybe, uh, I don't really know. <laughs> right now, it's the day after the election we're recording this. So there's a lot of yeah. raw feeling of yeah. how do we get through this? <laughs> the people yeah. who, uh, like me who are a little scared about uh, what might happen next. So I don't, I don't necessarily want to write a joke about any of that. But... Mm. How would someone come up, especially, I mean, there are people writing jokes today who might be really upset. Mm -hmm. So how could I, what, what is a process I can go through to try to... <laughs> to, to try to write a joke about this? Or, well, yeah. I, 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 think it's, I, think, I think one of the things that stands out is that, that there should be jokes about just how, you know, this isn't this. All of America looks like a scene from Night of the Living Dead. Like people are just walking around. Like I think that would be a jumping-off point for me. Like mm -hmm. I think, and I think the biggest thing is how shocked everybody is yeah. from the and hosts on CNN to Stephen Colbert to me to you. The people that walked out of the taping last night at the Colbert show literally looked like they would each been told that their mother just got in a car accident and died. Like they looked shell shocked. So that's to me a big place for jokes, mm -hmm. and so that would be one place that I would sort of go to. And then I would do jokes about Trump's enemies list. Like I wouldn't want to be Paul Ryan or, you know, uh, uh, any any Republican that wouldn't back him. John McCain. I mean, but then I think a joke in McCain is McCain was able to withstand five and a half years of torture with the North Vietnamese. North Vietnamese. He could only withstand five months of endorsing Donald Trump and he had to drop him like he could he he'd oh, rather wow. he'd rather so that to me that's a is good a joke. perspective yeah that's that is good, I wrote one earlier that uh and I couldn't write all of what I wanted to say on Twitter so I'll just say all of what I wanted to say which was 
the thing that's really going to upset Trump supporters is that the only wall that's going to get built is the one between them <laughs> and <laughs> Americans. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think there's a lot there, but you. I think it also. So it starts with tapping into what the emotion is. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, that's good to know. And there's yeah. also a weird thing, and uh, let me know if there's something here too. You know how presidents in America, it all ends up being kind of a a group. They all kind of work, not work together, but they get together because they all understand what the job is like. Can yeah. you imagine the living presidents with Trump standing next to them? Like, isn't I he know. kind of the? I know. You would think I the know. odd one out would be President Obama, but it's not. No, it's it's like it's going to look like a bunch of old people who are buying timeshares and he's selling it to them. That's what it's going to look like. Yeah. It's going to look like. Yeah. Let me show you my timeshares that I'm selling you, and he's the salesman. So it's crazy, man. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's a tough one. Yeah. Well, we well, you gotta, we got to keep your chin. You got to keep your chin up, you know. And not, yeah, uh, I saw a video that uh, Stephen, you know, Stephen Colbert from last night talking about his upbringing and what it all was like, and I found it pretty inspiring and a little helpful. Yeah, yeah quite you know, helpful. I was just wondering, you know, like what kind of leadership Colbert gives in these sort of moments? Is he helpful for you in that kind of situation? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, I mean, I I do a lot of that stuff myself, so I don't Mm -hmm. really look to him for that. Nor that I, nor John Stewart. Maybe because I work with them, so I, I think I see them differently than people on the outside. Right. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, so, but I do understand how, like, people always used to say to me when I was writing on the Daily Show. Well, we only we only watch our news from the Daily Show. I'm like, you shouldn't do that. You should get your news from a lot of different places and right. even read countering opinions like conservative opinions if you're liberal and liberal if you're conservative, mm-hmm. and then make your own decision. We're just, you know, I think it's one good source to get their information from, but it shouldn't be the only one. So it's like, I don't I don't really look and look at them that way. Right, it makes sense. Not not that I'm an equal. I think in terms of what we're doing and what we're saying. I don't think that he or John or any of these people have any more or less wisdom than I do. They right. just have, they just happen to be the guys hosting that show and deservedly so. But I do think that they bring perspective that I think helps people and does help me to a certain extent. You know. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's been very informative and great talking to you, and I appreciate yeah, man, you being on fun. the podcast. Yeah. yeah. So perfect. Uh, thank you, and this has been really fun, man. What a great chat! So much information that I learned. I hope you learned a lot there, too. You can catch Paul at the Gotham Comedy Club in New York City, November 25th and 26th. He's doing four shows there. And don't forget about that promo code, all caps Paul. If you can go to GothamComedyClub.com and buy tickets, then use that promo code. You can also check out his podcast, Two Chairs and a Microphone. And you can check out more about him at paulmercurio.com. Find him on social media. Find me on social media at There It Is Pod and at Jason Farr Jokes. Paul's is very simple, at Paul Mercurio. That's M-E-C-U-R-I-O. Very simple. Go to thereitispod.com and throw us a bone. We could use it. Uh, you can hit the support button if you have Theritis and uh, support us. Theritis. 
Uh, I need Wilford Brimley. I hope you really enjoyed this. I certainly did. I hope you enjoy next week's. It's going to be a great one. It's with the UCB improviser on a Herald team, Molly Gaby. She is fantastic as a performer and a human being, and we need those. So thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Until next time, folks, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. 